Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. I always thought it would be fun if Alfred Hitchcock wouldn't the show would have been completely different had Alfred Hitchcock started the shows with good evening don't you think I think so yeah. uh hey everybody welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan I am Joel and I'm Ryan and I'm Rob Woo. Rob's here Rob Dunkelberger's back to um to uh join us to talk uh about uh about more Hitchcock films one of our more it was one of our popular shows from last year one of our most yeah, popular all shows. the rob shows are popular because rob's like a rob. super internet influencer and everything mm-hmm. he's a very po- very knowledgeable yeah. very smart articulate he speaks well on the subject he's good um, at marketing himself in a way that we are atrocious <laughs> we are very much not yeah. uh rob of course uh joy you know and and you can also always uh find rob's work at the stages of minnesota um reviewing um reviewing plays he's uh that's um, a busy spot it is. yeah he's every ding dang night he is seemingly at the theater um <laughs> yep. Supporting the arts, and that's one of the many, many, many reasons we love Rob. So let's give it up, Rob Dunkelberger. How are you, Rob? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, please, I'm please good. everyone. Oh, uh, you listening at home? Please, please be seated. Please sit back down. <laughs> we got a long show to get through. Everybody, calm down. I know you're happy to see Rob, our first guest of the season. That's true. That's true. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Been seeing a lot of shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, anything awesome out there that people need to run out and see? Uh, yeah. If the, they're listening to this when it first comes out. Uh, the prom at Chanhassen Dinner Theaters is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful show. Um, if you go to their website or their Facebook page, there's also a talk back I did with some of the stars and the director out there uh that was was really special um it it came off really well and there are a lot of moments that really the audience and the people on the stage really connected and i'm pretty proud of that uh and that show just has a great message about inclusion um Mm -hmm. there's a transgender uh performer as one of the stars uh so it had a special connection for me and my my son george who you guys know um and that's a fantastic show out there um really a lot of fun super cool yeah i'm going i have tickets for that in april i think maybe april like 20th or something i'm going out cool that. um nice. but yeah so should be should, yeah great go see the prom everybody yeah get, you know this is you know hey little uh little psa here you know this is uh a, a 
not a big departure for Chan Hassan, but this, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's a great, it's a great uh, modern musical and stuff, but it is programming wise. It's a bit of a departure for Chan Hassan and stuff like this should be supported. Uh, yes. uh, it, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it ain't Oklahoma. It ain't music man. Um, and, and that should Wait, also it's be not celebrated. music man. Nope. <laughs> what the hell? Nope. I know. It, it, what do you it's talk? definitely a risk. Uh, and we talked about that uh, with Michael Brindisi out there. Mm -hmm. And he said he, he expects to lose money on the show, but he's thinking of the long money, uh, yep. drawing in new audiences, which is important for every theater to think about. Yeah, it is. Correct. Correct. Um, all right. So all right. Um, so let's let, let we're so today, of course, uh, it is another day uh we you know you, we've already we've already said it is we are going to be talking about hitchcock last time we talked about some of uh hitchcock's early works start british out, period the british period um and selected today, highlights we, from the british period yeah. right um i'm gonna go ahead and play this now uh because uh, we are this time we are going to take a little trip across the pond when hitchcock comes to america Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, well, why? Like, I guess the the to start off with, uh, Rob. Um. Wh why? Why would Hitchcock leave the comfy confines of his home in uh, Great Britain to um? to come to Hollywood and be part of, uh, you know, the, I, I guess at that, you know, at that point, Hollywood was still very much sort of a, a factory of, of just cranking out films. What, uh, yeah. how did, how did, you know, how did this sort of come about? Well, I think Hitchcock had reached uh, what he thought is about as far as he could go in the British film industry. It wasn't like Hollywood. Hollywood still exported films to around the world. British films rarely went outside of Great Britain. Um, his films did, of course. The most popular ones would make it across the pond, but mostly British films were made for the people of Great Britain. Um, so he was lured across the pond by uh, several producers, reached out to him, tried to strike deals with him. Um, he ended up going with David O. Selznick, who offered him more money and a little more control over things. Um, and that's what sold him. When he got over here, he was amazed at at the budgets and the efficiency uh, of the studio system. Um, and I think it was a good fit for him. David O. Selznick, the producer, wasn't as good a fit. Um, Hitchcock is known for, for his control over every aspect of the production. Um, he storyboards everything. He shot everything in his head already. He always said that making the film was a boring part because he'd already filmed it in his head. Um, and he, one of the big clashes he had with uh, David O. Selznick, who was also a control freak, uh, was that Hitchcock tended to edit in the camera. He would shoot what he needed because he had already edited it in his brain. So uh, Selznick liked to get in there and tinker with people's films. He wanted to have lots of options so that he could re-edit it uh, 
restructure the story however he wanted to and it frustrated him that Hitchcock would only shoot what he needed uh that that left Selznick with nothing to do now I, yeah. I came across a quote a quote a quote a very it's like a quote. trumpet and a quote yeah yeah uh, so it's a British. It's a, quote. it's a quote you say. It's a quote you say with your pinky up. Yes, <laughs> while sipping tea. Um, that Hitchcock said that uh, one of the best things David O. Selznick ever said about him was that he was the only director he trusted with a film, um, and I think that's because of the results of the films that they did make together. Um, the first one was Rebecca. That's the mm-hmm. first film when he comes over to. To America it was supposed to be a film based on the sinking of the Titanic, but that never came about. Um, Rebecca is based on the novel by Raph, uh, Daphne de Mornay. Um, Hitchcock's last film in Great Britain was Jamaica Inn, which is also based on a Daphne de Mornay novel. Um, and it's a film we didn't talk about uh, last time because it's one that could have, it's right there on the cusp of it could have got in the show easily but yeah yeah there's a nice restoration out there it looks good it's kind of fun uh but it's not great and Mm -hmm. we've got he's got a lot of great films that's what's amazing about hitchcock's uh filmography is there are very few films that you're like yeah that's uh, you don't need to bother with that one or whatever and Mm -hmm. you know we don't want to do this for the rest of our lives so we're gonna what? we're gonna leave Speak out some. For yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we want to move on to other directors. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, um, sure, at sure, some sure. point, but nice. I think we got several shows left on mm-hmm. Hitchcock. It feels uh, that way, yeah. But you yeah. gotta you gotta leave some of those out. Like we left out uh, blackmail and murder, uh, which were the first sound films he made in Britain, and and they they've got important things about them, but. They're just not that entertaining of films, mm-hmm. and, and probably your listeners aren't going to rush out and see those. If they fall in love with Hitchcock and watch everything, they'll get to them eventually, and, and they'll find some rewarding stuff there. But we're trying to keep it to these are the really great ones. Now, the problem with Hitchcock is so many of them are great, and he was prolific. It's not like Kubrick where you go, yeah, pretty much everything he made was great to some extent, but he's only got a handful of films over decades. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock mm-hmm. pretty much cranked out one a year for quite a while. And 75%, 80% are are great, very good to great. Mm-hmm. And then half of the others are pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a, cu- uh, a couple of points there. You know, the, uh, the uh, first of all, if you want to hear the, uh, the, the, uh, the episode, the first Hitchcock episode, that's season five. That's last year. Uh, season, episode 32 is what you want to look for. Uh, that's the that's the British period. Um, you talked about David Oselznick, at, you know, the per, back back in the day, producers, and that was common practice was, you know, these movies would get shot and then the then the studio heads would go in and tinker and make them. That That's why they were the studio heads that day. They weren't just... They weren't just money people. They were people who also fancied themselves, uh, you know, uh, dream makers and storytellers yeah. and stuff. And so, so that it, that is kind of a big deal that that Selznick, good old David or Selznick, uh, wouldn't uh, you know w- w- wouldn't be able to come in and um, 
and tinker. Yeah. And so that, that, yeah, I always thought that that was kind of cool. And thank goodness for that. And yeah, yes. oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Uh, uh, and and Hitchcock and Selznick uh, respected each other, but they, they had such different temperaments and different styles of filmmaking that it wasn't a great working relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they did several films together, but uh, Selznick ended up loaning him out to other studios because right. Selznick was an independent producer. He made two or three films a year, so he didn't always have enough to keep Hitchcock busy for the right. term of his contract. Um, oh, Selznick and, International Pictures. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and it's all, I mean, we, I know we brought know it up at the beginning of is it Rebecca, the, the or Selznick International Pictures, that what the hell that big plantation house is at the beginning? Is that where he lives or something? I, I, that's what I assumed. Or, yeah. or that was his that... house? What the hell is yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> that's his um... offices. It feels like you, it feels like you know, where like mark twain's grandma lived or something it just was so weird yeah but that's what some of the weird things when you go back in time there's always something fun to see that you're like what is yep. that yeah he just what, what did he just say <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah uh the um Sorry, I'm looking. I'm looking up the quick scene if I could find out what that was. Uh, uh, I doubt I mean, well, you can. I asked the question. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. No, but what I'm just thinking, or is that because Selznick did Gone with the Wind? Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that yeah. a black and white version of Tara? It honestly could have yeah. been. It was all close up, uh, so you didn't feel right. the scope of an estate or anything. Yep. You know, it, it could right. have been on a street someplace. But maybe could have been. that would have made sense, actually, kind of. All right, you guys, hey, everyone at home, and you, uh, you two, uh, talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to look this up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it up. I was just joking around. I'm obsessed now. I'm obsessed now. <laughs> Can you first read the plot synopsis for Rebecca? Yes, yes. Okay, you're absolutely right. Uh, let me let me stay on task here. Uh, so, of course, Rebecca, the classic Rebecca. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, what is uh, happening to your life? Um, so, Rebecca, a self-conscious woman juggles adjusting to her new role as a, an aristocrat's wife and avoiding being intimidated by his first wife's spectral presence. So Rebecca, the titular Rebecca, nowhere to be seen in the film, but she's everywhere. Yes. She is ha- hanging over every move. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and she's there in, in a physical sense, her presence is felt by the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who who is always there reminding Judith Anderson, new, right? Dame Judith yes, Anderson. Yes. From uh, Star Trek three. The search Among for other spot, things. Vulcan <laughs> High Priest. That's the first yeah. thing no, I think it. of. I, think that's of the only Judith I saw that's her, her only other I credit. Thought, oh no. I, I know her. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, she, I she is. She, I think, um, I think, you know, I think she's most remembered for Rebecca, actually, because yes. this that character it, it really, really makes makes an impression. And it, it yet, oh yeah, and I knew about it going into it because I knew I know I for a change, I know this novel. I've seen little snippets of this movie, but I've never seen this before. There's only one of these on our list today. Our six films that we're talking about that I've seen. So these, like the last ones, they were 
mo- pretty much all new to me. Um, even the one I'd seen, I forgot that I'd seen it until I was watching it. <laughs> and then I was like, wow. oh, yeah, I've seen this. Man, good for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I – so I'll get my gripe about Rebecca out of the way because there's so many – there's a lot of really great pleasures in it. One of the things I don't really like about it – and this is, uh, you know, the film's the, a film's a film, a, a, you know, a, a, a book's a book. Like don't get too hung up on – differences but De Mornay's book the, her ending for the times was extraordinary it 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 twists in a way that I think isn't as shocking today and Hitchcock retains a little bit of this but because of the I don't know if it's the production code or whatever that there's a there's a thing hanging over the end of this movie where you you know the hollywood was very conscious not to show any true injustice which i really think her story is nuanced enough and therefore the film really up until the very end is nuanced enough that what is justice under these circumstances really is up for debate and so i'm sitting there being a little frustrated by that i'm not ruining the ending i don't mean to talk about this in vagaries but um it there's a there's a turn where our put upon um heroin just decides to 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 take sides in this mystery once she knows what's going on and her choice is unique especially for the time the book was written and i think in the movies too it's it's a it's not a twist like she was dead the whole time. I mean, it's not that kind of thing. It's it's it, but it's. I still think it's really remarkable when it happens, and then the the battle of wills at the end is really really good. And I just feel like that's really diluted in Rebecca. But what's great about Rebecca? Certainly, um, who's the young lady who stars in this? She's fantastic. Uh it's uh, Joan Fontaine. Yeah, Joan mm-hmm. Fontaine. So, not a. Yeah, I I'm know Olivier pretty well, who plays the gentleman that she, they, they hook up on vacation. And then circumstances make a sort of quick engagement and quick wedding necessary if they're to stay together. And I love those scenes. I love the older woman that she's a traveling companion for. Oh my God, I love her so much. Uh, Florence Bates as Mrs. Van Hopper. Oh, she's so much fun. She's, I mean, she's like, she's like people like that. I'm sure they were who had all the power yep. and all the money. And they're just the boss of literally everybody that they come encounter with at every step of life. And they just spend their whole lives bossing people around and complaining when even the tiniest little thing isn't up to snuff, but then quickly getting on with it and bossing other people around about other matters that come up during the course of the day. Like I really, uh, she was, uh, she was really, really fun. And you feel, uh, what's the main character's names? Uh, sorry. as all this stuff that all these details. Uh, that I Maxim do Maxim, right? Maxim de Winter. Yep, Maxim de Winter. Maxim, but what's her name? I think of her as the main character. True. Yeah. Uh, she is known as the paid companion and then Mrs. de Winter. She so never she never gets a given first a first name? name? Nope. Jeez, nope. does she have one in the novel? I don't know. I haven't read it. Well, at least I feel better for, <laughs> for forgetting she has no name. Yep. 
What? I, I'm sure Hitchcock loved that, right? Because the thing is called Rebecca. We never see Rebecca. Rebecca's mm-hmm. ghost yep. and her her aura and her oppressive like personality just like you say hangs over every moment in the thing. Yep. And, and here's and, this and poor girl with no name. Rebecca obscures the new yeah. Mrs. De Winter in everyone's mind, including the new Mrs. De Winter. Well, there's um, things I didn't like about it. I don't like, I don't like, you know, the that films of that era's tending toward female hysterics. I think that happens a little too much in this. But I think Joan does a really, really good job of navigating those cliches and coming up with something that really feels as real as something in a melodrama like this can feel. Yeah. And I think when uh, and and there's lots of things to love, Rob. I'll let you start off. Maybe we can come back to me. But I, I love. I also love the obviously the the classic black and white photography. There's not a lot of Hitchcockian big moves or tricks in this. Really, the car driving process is terrible, as you would expect. <laughs> it's like that's just how they did these things, yeah. um, but in a delightful way, truly. Um, I lo- I love when the cast like because we spend this time with their family and she's so isolated with the maid and and or the housekeeper I should say is the more appropriate mm-hmm. term and because uh, she runs the house yeah um yeah. obviously I love the the um the the dress up ball like everybody does that whole sequence <laughs> is diabolical yeah. and you, we all can see what's happening and you know. that's always fun but i love when the townspeople when the end becomes like a trial or an investigation and all these weird folks start coming out of the woodwork like (laughs) you know it's really fun it it and i really dug that sort of energy that we got the blackmail at the end and the the lawyer and the the investigator that guy's fantastic i believe he recurs in a few of these films and Mm-hmm. It, you know, Rebecca is all it's it was the best picture of that year. And I I I think for I think for technique, but I also think Daphne du Maurier, you gotta give her a lot of credit for why this works. The the concept is really, really strong and he he sort of delivers on it in the way he can. I suspect if he felt liberated to he would have kept more of the resolution from the book. I really believe that, but I still found myself, you know, and he, he does keep to it at, as much as you possibly can. And yet it doesn't, yeah. it just feels a little sold out. That frustrates me, but I liked Rebecca a lot. I expected to, but it, you know, it delivered in all those delightful ways. The, at, you talked about it last week and, and Guillermo talks about it on one of the criterion discs. I can't remember which, uh, I think the first, the one with, uh, you know, the one with the shootout at the end that starts at the ski resort. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, the the man who knew too much. Yeah, he's he's. You guys point out that he's Hitchcock's. It's there's comedy constantly, and you forget that until you watch something like this, and it yep. it it's it makes it super entertaining until it it gets tense and stuff, and that tension rising out of these goofy little situations and these quirky personalities really. Is awesome. So that's my yeah. big tirade on Rebecca. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the great things about Hitchcock is he sort of built this community where he's working with a lot of the same people, uh, like a rep house, kind of behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And there's several here. Uh, George Sanders, uh, who plays the blackmailer guy. I love that guy. He's and fantastic. He's, he's God, good in he's this. So good. He's even better in foreign correspondent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he and and he's great in everything I've ever seen him in. Um, he 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 has a couple of collaborations with Hitchcock, this and foreign correspondent. Uh, Leo G. Carroll. Um, but I can't remember the name of his character's name in this, but he's in six Hitchcock films. Um, Nigel Bruce, who uh, is Watson to Basil Rathbone's Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. Uh, he appears in two of Hitchcock's films, both of which we'll talk about today. And I love seeing him anytime. Yeah, me too. Um, and he's fantastic in, in both of these little films in, in smaller role in this one. He gets a larger one in, in suspicion, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dr. You Baker, know, Dr. Baker is who you is Leo Carroll's. Uh, yeah. So here we've got again, he's he's bringing what he's learned in Britain and coming to to America with a much larger budget, but a producer who's going to be more controlling. So he's shooting within the camera as much as editing within the camera as much as he can to downplay that. Uh but there are certain things he did not get to contribute to the script as he normally would. He's normally very hands-on in the development of the script. Um, that's not the case here. So he's basically has to shoot what he has to shoot. Uh, but one of the things he really brought to it was the uh, use of miniatures. They could not find a house to that really fit the description or what they wanted for Manderley. Mm-hmm. So they used a miniature. Uh, David O. Selznick was really resistant to this idea, but Hitchcock knew it could be done. Uh, we saw in The Lay Vanishes, The 39 <clears throat> Steps, several of those films, some really pretty effective use of miniatures. Uh, you could Very effective early some. use of miniatures, I have to say. Yeah. Absolutely. And he knew that with a larger budget, he could make it even better. And I, I think it works for Mandalay. I think it, it's a pretty successful use of a miniature in there i love Um, it because it 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 even what it lacks in absolute realism it makes up for in storybook you know like sort of magicness like this place with a name american audiences i mean they they read a lot of british novels i mean they'll be used to that like you say if they were in england they You walk twenty steps and you trip over a place that could be Manderley. Right, there would be no problem at all. The in in America, it's like what you know. I'm sure they scouted all kinds of stuff and was like, yeah. none of this yeah. is right. I mean, uh, English manner is a thing, you know. And yep. mm-hmm. I like the yeah, I like the the I love the miniatures. Like I say, even though I you could recognize them for what they <clears> were because <throat> they're really good. But most, but also that that. That unreality of it is part of what's super cool about it. In this case, yeah. it works hand in hand with the storytelling. Yeah, there, there's that line in there. Last night I dreamed again of a Manderley or something like that, and mm-hmm. it's that whole dreamlike quality that makes that miniature the artificiality that that you do perceive. Just sort of, it sort of reinforces that whole idea that this is 
this is somehow in in a mind or in a dream. And in California, mm-hmm. they really get the Oceanside part really does feel like yeah. it feels like, you know, I, I stopped thinking about the practicality of it when, you know, when we were watching those sides. Yeah. I wish a little more. I don't know. I wish a little more. Again, I just wish I whenever I watch these, you got a good actor. You got an interesting story. I wish the woman just had more sort of was more involved in her own story. I, I get that a she's bit more agency. Yeah. yeah, I get that yeah. she's put upon, but I just wish her investigation was more something deliberate. You know, yeah. stuff like that. But Joan really, really does help it, it because she, for all her, oh, <laughs> you know, there, mm-hmm. there's which there's plenty of, there's plenty of stuff that's not that. There's plenty of her really being an intelligent young person who's just trying to sort stuff out and even more than that, trying to do the right thing and being just conspired against being able to do that. And that that's fun. Watching somebody try and squirrel out of a box like that is, is it is interesting. There's tension and all kinds of fun stuff in it. So sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, cause she's, cause she's, you know, that, you know, uh, the, the second Mrs. De Winter, um, she's not a you know she's not a society person right. at all. A, a, a society if a person who grew up in society comes into that situation, they're just like uh, they would take charge. They would they wouldn't care about if the staff liked her or not. <laughs> it, you know, but she's she. So it is. It's a total fish out of water. Um, I love that. that. Fish I love that lunch element. scene where the guy's like, well, "Do you hunt? Do you ride?" <laughs> Nothing else really to do here. You yep. must learn to ride. Mm-hmm. Whoever that ride, guy and then is. He, and then he's like, and then he's like, do you ride side saddle or stride? And, he, and he's like, oh right, you don't ride. And it was. <laughs> it's like Colonel oh, Mustard. So, I called that guy. I don't know who he is. Uh, yeah, well, he's so major, funny. major, major Lacey. There you go. <laughs> he is quite. He is. Well, quite but it just, it's just it's it's yeah. hilarious. Like this eccentric yeah. guy giving this weird speech where he's asking questions that the answers are barely being able to come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny, but it, it, it demonstrates exactly what Joel's saying, which is why I kind of remembered it and bring it up. It, it, she just doesn't belong here. She doesn't know how to interact with a character like this. Yeah. And you see like Olivier, it's his, his guests and everything. And he just, by, he does it by ignoring them. And in this yeah. world, yep. that's completely acceptable. It, so her attempts to be polite and her attempts to fit in are are just thwarted by you know exactly by not having any experience with this. I mean, she's she has been a traveling companion for sort of a high society person, but a, an American high society person and a and an English one as a whole completely. I mean, at yeah. this right, right. It's a, at the time of Titanic. Maybe there there was a lot of parallels, but at this point in time, it's just it, she's. It's a total fish out of water story that's really, really fun. And Rebecca, I love the when they come into the room too, just as a visual. I love the Rebecca Rebecca's little dress lying on the bed like she's in it, you know. That's such a mm-hmm. I don't know if that's iconic, but to me that was like that's as close to actually seeing her as we get. Yep. <laughs> she's almost yep. there in that shot. You know, and it's I didn't, it, it's weird because I had the and it's but I had that same reaction weirdly 
just when uh, when she looks down at the napkin and at, at the cloth napkin and has the embroidered R on it. Um, for some reason, that to me was like was a big moment of of Rebecca's presence uh, right. looming over everything. I, I, I don't know why that one struck me. So no, it, uh, I, I that know was, that, that I remember a, that vividly. Yeah. So sure. That one works. It, it's really interesting that they do not show Rebecca at all, because there is a point where uh, Maxim is telling the story of what happened that night. And normally you would Especially expect a flashback. Especially in this era, you yeah. showed yeah, this, everything. Yep, it a was... flashback would would is what someone would normally do. In this case, they choose not to do that. They want to keep her, and it's it, it, not just the screen. conceit of keeping her out. It just not doing it. I've I said this on the show. Yes, movies are show don't tell. We all know that, but that that I I can't stress enough how awesome it is to watch an actor of Olivier's type just sit there and tell you a story mm -hmm. it's really really powerful if it's done right and i feel like we all i feel like back then you got a little of that and i think throughout time i think we these days you almost never get it you get it in tv a lot which is really strange mm -hmm. where they're patient somehow and they let people do that without all the flashbackery and all the stuff you know it's somebody telling a story is such a cool thing and and it it if it's a compelling story, it's it, it's all you need is that you know. Maybe not every yep. time. Flashbacks are fun, but but they're they're often perfunctory. They just aren't needed at all. And you just did it. You know, you did all that work, and you you actually took the you know the tension out of the thing by doing it that way. So mm -hmm. I love that. That I love that they did it that way. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Not just because so, we never see Rebecca. That's great. I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah, that's the kind of thing where Hitchcock would be like, well, maybe there's a portrait of her, there's this or that, and he right. would just go, right. you know, we almost never see her, so we're going to never see her. And he, yeah. he his yeah. whole career that I've experienced so far and everything I know about reading about him is that he, whenever he finds those little things, he goes whole hog at them, yep. which is the way to do it for sure. And, and frankly, you kind of think that that's going to be the twist is at some point she'll show we're up. We're going to, we're, we're, yeah, we're going to see her somehow. And it's, you know, so yeah. like even, even when that, when, you know, uh, when, well, how do I, I can't really, I can't really make my next point without spoiling a, a major plot point. Well, we've so. done a pretty, yeah. look, this show, since we've gotten this far without any huge spoilers, this show's gonna have some spoilers on them because there's yep. a couple of these movies we absolutely can't talk about without breaking down mm -hmm. the ending. Yeah. I think Rebecca, because it's in this classic mystery thing you can talk about a lot of stuff up until mm -hmm. when the you know what i mean yeah so it's good that we're not revealing it yeah. in this case but be warned a couple of these are going to be a, yeah. a couple of the really good ones are going to be spoiled big time because i just yeah. i feel like there's a couple of them we to. can't not yeah. spoil right. well, to really discuss them this one we, this one we can get away with yeah. yeah and here's the deal i mean part, i think we brought this up in the last the last Hitchcock show too is, is that's, you know, the thing about Hitchcock is, is, you know, there, we, a lot of things that we see today, you know, especially in like suspenseful movies and, and whodunits and things like that, these twists, these tropes of, 
you know, whatever these, uh, you know, twisty moments or oh, a misdirection, um, things that are kind of cliche now, that's because they were kind of, this is where they started. So, you know, the, these twists like this, uh, you know, th this is why some of the things are kind of, you know, we're like, oh, that's that, you know, they're, the Hitchcockian yeah. twist is kind of a, a trope. It's one now. of the challenges yeah. of watching yeah. both the last film cycle, although I think less that one, because I think he in Britain, I don't know if he was more bored or something, but it felt like he was doing <laughs> something new and crazy that you could kind of feel was different in almost every movie this particular group there's a, some of some of that for sure you talked about the miniatures in this film mm -hmm. but it's compared to some of the absolute theatrics that we're going to be talking about a show or two from now this feel this feels these all feel very mannered and re relatively tame stylistically but but you know, it's like you said when we were doing a, the double feature with the inspectors. You said it's the kind of movie you think there's a whole bunch of, and when when you go looking, there just isn't. It, it's yep. this really is the special thing that sort of made that changed history and and that they that they got the template from. Mm -hmm. I couldn't watch these with that. I tried to watch it with that in mind, but I if it, these are all such plot plotty films that I just I just get swept away by them, and I kind of stop watching for that reason but it's a good point yeah. to bring up it starts right. here in a lot a lot right. of ways and so, so this is is hitchcock's first film and right out of the gate he wins best picture he gets his first of five best director nominations doesn't win um the film also wins for best cinematography in black and white and uh hitchcock always looked for challenges technical challenges things to to keep him interested in what he was doing. Um, and we'll see, we'll talk about one of those experiments later in the show. Uh, but in this one, he used uh, deep focus uh, photography, uh, which is something that uh, Susan Kane is, is really praised for doing, but he's doing it before Orson Welles did it here. Uh, Orson Welles didn't invent it. The big thing with Susan Kane is not so much of, creating all these new techniques or whatever is pulling them all together in in one place uh and utilizing them to tell a tell a story um but deep focus photography had not been used a lot and hitchcock really wanted to use that for this and you know it won an academy award for for doing that i think that's a big part of it it's it's extremely detailed film yes Mm -hmm. in, and and if you're gonna do shoot it that way, then every aspect of it has to be really, really good. I don't want to say that I couldn't tell if they were on a soundstage or not. I mean, I could tell a lot of the time, but yeah. but the nevertheless, the details and the clothing and the the you know all the props and stuff and the the art direction. I mean, it it's it's it gets. It gets it's good because of all the all the mm -hmm. attention that's paid to it. Yeah. Both both you know when they obviously when they designed it, but both when they shot it and and reveal it all. It doesn't reveal. There's not a lot of you know cracks in the pavement in the film when you're watching yeah. it. it. There is some artificiality to it because it really is a it's a chamber drama. You know it really is yeah. what it is. But that's that doesn't get in the way because that's just a form and that's fun actually. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, we need to move on, but I, uh, I think I just want to also make sure that we, I mean, we mentioned her, Judith Anderson, uh, Mrs. Danvers as one of the, one of the great sort of, uh, villainy characters, uh, in, in movie, you know, this is Mrs. Danvers is the template for many, many, many villains, uh yeah. and so it, it, it that that's awesome and we get to talk about him in and the it's next great because she's already... not in the end she's not really the villain of the piece at all no. she she's uh she's um she is she's a mover and a shaker no doubt but yeah. she doesn't without totally spoiling it she doesn't do anything too diabolical she's just mean no she just and... doesn't yeah she just doesn't <laughs> like the new mrs de winter and, and her yeah. and her commitment to that is is and the way she mm -hmm. takes advantage of our hero is, is it's, you can feel it when it's happening. And yet it, it you can see mm -hmm. why she gets caught up in it. It's yeah. Judith Anderson. Didn't she win the, her Academy award for this as well? Or no, she didn't win, but she was nominated. nominated. Yeah. No, she's a powerhouse in it. Yeah. Um, but she won for something. At some I wonder point, who did win. I don't know. Somebody good. Uh, boy, let me see I hope here. so. Golden because Age of Hollywood. It's not always the case, but it's almost always the case. So she was a nominee uh, in 1941. Okay. Uh, she lost to um, that supporting role. Here we go. Uh, Jane Darwell won for The Grapes of Wrath. Oh, well, mm. that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, I mean, I, you know, that was her, and that was her only nomination. Judith Anderson was that was her only, only nominated. Wow. Well, I believe it because she she didn't she she didn't stay across the pond. You know what I mean? Right. She, she really was a. <laughs> yeah. She probably uh, has a closet full of BAFTAs. Exactly. Uh, not really. Not really. <laughs> Looks like no. she, she. Here's what she. Um, let's see, three wins. So she won a Western Heritage Award. Uh, for bronze uh, wrangler, um, she oh, won a primetime Emmy. She won a primetime Emmy for playing Lady uh, Lady Macbeth. Um, and she she won an <laughs> she won two Emmys in two different one in 1954 and one in 1960, uh, both for playing, playing Lady, Macbeth. Lady Macbeth. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. She's a oh. Lady Macbeth kind of lady. Yeah, leave yep. it at that. Because yeah, yep. we got other movies. Right. Uh, all Maybe right. they Moving don't have on. the 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 bam mm -hmm. Hitchcock's in America sort of you know this Rebecca really obviously is significant. Did he ever win Best Picture again? Uh, Hitchcock. I... Rob should know. I don't think that he did. By the way, I don't but think I'm not, he did. I don't, I don't think, think so. that he did. No. So nope. It, he never it, won a, a directing Oscar. So I don't think he was nominated five times. Yeah, and I think. And I think it's, in the end, I mean, he got the yeah the Thalberg the award. The Thalberg, yeah, he got yeah. a Thalberg in in '68. Um, but uh, yeah, which and an AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people I mean, get that when they have their long term contributions. You know, but you mm -hmm. feel like you would have won an Oscar for something. I can yeah. think of a couple of movies that maybe he should have been. Really, really yeah. close to tip top, I mean, but we'll we'll take a look at those when we get there. Uh, what's yeah. our next movie, Joel? Well, foreign correspondent, we're gonna celebrate, you know, a little bit more George Sanders. Uh, let's um, uh, who by the way, real quick, find, when George Sanders uh, calls Mrs. Danvers Danny, I cackled almost every time. I don't know, I just <laughs> loved it. Um, 
But George, uh, uh, we have foreign correspondent, which of course is on the eve of World War II. A young American reporter tries to expose enemy agents in London. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I should Actually, really all across center. Europe. What an easy, and all across Europe. What an easy yeah. breezy guy this guy is. Who's the foreign correspondent? Uh, Joel McRae. Joel McRae. Uh, I loved. Yeah. We've seen him before, right? In one of these previous films. Uh well. Or God, I'm we're going to remember see- if we have. I've seen him in a lot of things. I love him, <laughs> but he he's got this weird career where he's in Sullivan's Travels, The Palm Beach Story, uh, The Most Dangerous Game. Oh, um, that must be what I'm thinking of him from because I watch yeah. that semi regularly. The Great mm-hmm. McGinty. He's got all these films, and then in 1946, between 1946 and 1976, aside from two films. He only starred in westerns. Yep. Before that, he's in all these great Preston Sturgis comedies, uh, this fantastic Hitchcock film, and you know various other stories. Is he's just great. He's he's versatile. He can do all these things, and then he just liked doing westerns. So he just, you know, six years hanging out with the dudes doing westerns. westerns. I mean, during the time period you're you're speaking of, there's not. There's no better gig that you can get really in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I any I just to say right up front, Joel McRae is fantastic. He just it, it 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 it's easy to say that. I don't think there's like any bad performances in any of these movies, but just right from the get go, like you, this guy it's it's hard to explain, but it you you already it's his starting point. And that's in the script, certainly, you know, the, well, is there an expense account? You know, that sort of thing. But this guy, this is a real hero's journey, you know, and it's an unexpected one. You don't really know you're watching that until it's almost all over. And I love that about it. I really did love seeing the the devil-may-care douche nozzle, like, turn into an awesome, (laughs) he gives a crap about everything, you know, yeah. And it, I guess it's really that. It's not even his actions so much, which are great kind of throughout or interesting all the way throughout. It's that he changes from a guy who just does, who's just apolitical, you know, absolutely doesn't, doesn't really engage with anything in any way. Kind of like, I guess, a good reporter would be in some way. And some, he has this weird, old school, chilled out objectivity about him until yeah. he doesn't. And I, I just, that alone I thought was gets you through foreign correspondent yeah one of the interesting things i think that hitchcock does in this one is there's a completely different feel uh when he is in america it has this his girl friday mm-hmm. uh kind of it happened one night feel to it uh a preston sturgis almost feel and then there's a preston sturgis almost change of tone when he gets over to england and it becomes this spy picture about trying to prevent a world war. And um, the tone is, it, Hitchcock really grasped the flavor of Hollywood films at that time set in America. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets over, the, the film gets a little colder, a little more serious. Yep. And that tone will change really works. And I, I think that's very intentional. I think Hitchcock showed that he could do, he could do that screwball almost type comedy setup, 
and then he could do this. And again, yeah. wasn't afraid to do it. <clears throat> right. In a thriller or in a in a mystery or in a whatever. Yep. And you know that part. I guess I knew that somehow, or and I just sort of know sort of how these things feel from back then anyway. But that's the part that it continues to surprise you is how just uproariously funny some of it is. And it's not because it's not a it's never a clown show. There's not this goofiness like you say. It's all tone and delivery and and it's wit. In the language yep. and stuff like and and it's it's the the thing we talked about back in the Stephen King shows where it's just this it's always some every man or every woman who's just is put upon by this crazy wacky group of vivid side wow. characters and stuff you know and yet they and yet in in these Hitchcock movies at least so far they, there's a limiter put on them where they only are allowed to steal the show. To, nth degree and it really does feel like they all stop short at right exactly the same point and you yep. feel like that's probably the filmmaker that that's that's doing that too i don't joel that plot synopsis is little of a setup this plot a couple of these plots but this one more than the rest of them is mm-hmm. it, it to, it's hard to even talk about what the story is so maybe we'll just won't do that with it but if you like a good old school page turner this has all the things that a great a great uh, spy novel has you know mm-hmm. i think it's a little lighter on its feet than a than a proper spy novel but it really does go through the paces of that yeah. and of course you know you can't talk about it without talking about the humdinger climax of it followed up by a really clever and extremely satisfying final couple of scenes and just that pure and it's not the the latter is pure entertainment and you just feel great when you're done watching it but the former is tricky and there's a sort of harsh there's a, almost a nastiness to the action sequence that ends the film and a weird sort of irony like a cold irony like I don't, hard to explain what I'm trying to say by that. I'm not trying to totally spoil what it is, but there's uh, I what for my my money an all time great. We've seen a few of these shootouts. We saw the end of Lady Vanishes. You know, it's big big moments. This is as big a spectacle as I've seen in a movie of his so far. Yeah, that that had to be logistically and just technically really really difficult to pull off, and yeah. it you and yet it's you don't think much about that when you're watching it because you're just really, really involved in it at that point. There are like three special effects sequences in this that I really love. And this, this one was nominated for six Oscars. So his second film, again, just a ton of Oscar nominations, best picture being one of them and best special effects was a, was one of the things that was nominated for. I I should think so. You know, there are three things that really catch my eye. Uh, and some of them are little and some of them are big. The The windmill sequence. Mm. One, I love the set once he's inside the windmill. Hell yeah. It, I love a, a really real feeling but stylized set like that. I just love it. It's fantastic yeah. production design. Uh, but when they're driving up to the windmills, they're like, I wish I'd written it down because I, I watched a special feature years ago about it, mm-hmm. but there are like three different techniques being used in that shot and they all work 
beautifully. I, I bought it. Until you look really closely, you buy it as they've driven into a, a field of windmills or whatever, right. and they haven't. There, there's miniatures, there's, you know, models. There's all there's kinds paintings. of force perspective and stuff yes. to make it. Yep. Yeah. And that's incredible. There's a sequence where uh, George Sanders' character has to escape from a, a he's he's being held by some bad guys in the, and he jumps out a window and goes through the awning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Below. Yep. And I just love that scene. That's like an action scene you'd see in today's movies and they didn't really do stuff like that very mm -hmm. often. Yeah, yeah. Um and it works. It 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 plays as real and you're like, "Holy, holy cow, did he just do that?" I love that. And then you get to the plane crash. Yeah. And we won't say who's on the plane or who who why the plane crashes or who's trying to whatever. But there's a plane crash and it is fantastic. Yeah, I it just love. It, you nothing even as stylistic and fun and and this one is is flamboyant in a way that Rebecca is very very tight and mannered. Yeah. And um and but still nothing prepares you for the for the plane sequence. It just nothing it prepares you for that because it's just not the kind of thing you see in movies like this or yeah. movies of this vintage. And it it, it 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 anything bad that I could say about it from a story perspective, it, the it the the technique and the his storytelling is on such a high level at that point that you you're just absolutely sucked in. I was, yeah, I wasn't ready for. It. I just can say that I didn't know that was coming. I mean, I I knew foreign correspondent. I knew a little bit about it was. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be until it and it, it really was. Even from a plot standpoint, it really is exactly yeah. what you think it's going to be. But that that sequence makes it a whole different thing. Just yeah, that set piece is is it's a stunner just uh, it is it is and it, it's what's weird is when i became a hitchcock film around 10 years of age or whatever you knew all the big 10 year ones. old rob watching <laughs> hitchcock that's boring. and mm, i like the birds <laughs> there are films like last uh times young and innocent that just weren't in circulation Sure. You didn't hear about it. You know, nobody, nobody talks about very much. Yep. Uh, Young and Innocent now, was one of my favorites from, it was my, yeah. I, it wasn't, I don't think it was the best movie from the last cycle, but it was my, my little personal favorite that I loved yep. the most. And I, I was teasing it because, you know, it's American release title was the girl was young and my yeah. little movie poster that I could find of it. Says that yeah. on it, and I was like, "This is stupid. This isn't going to be good." And it, it was, it was good, and then it was really good, and then it was really effing good. <laughs> it's yeah. like that, that foreign correspondent travels yeah, yeah. along a lot of the same lines. I totally agree. Yeah, yep. And it, it, you know, now it's obviously it was a best picture nominee, but for some reason, af, as time went on, this film wasn't in circulation. I didn't come across it until way, way later uh, in my Hitchcock screening career. Uh, now it's a Criterion disc, so obviously it's been reevaluated and restored. And and it looks as good, yeah, about as good beautiful. as it's going to get look, and yep. it, it's a good one to seek out, even in streaming, because it it's been taken very well care of. Yeah, yeah. So th this for me was at some point in my life my young and innocent 
which Young and Innocent was also my Young and Innocent when I discovered <laughs> that one. It's like, yeah. why? I've seen so many Hitchcock films four or five, six times. I've never seen this one. Now I see it and I'm like, why isn't this in the conversation? Well, uh, and it, we should. This is great. Yeah, it's really good. We should mention to the the. We've seen this thing where the guy and the woman clearly are trying to achieve the same thing and yet are at odds completely together. And not just, certainly interpersonally, that you yeah. expect some of, but more than that, the way, when it's a woman, the way the, the, the men, you know, thwart their efforts to do the right thing or, you know, and, yeah. and, and maybe even more acutely in a film like this, where, you know, our, our hero is just doing his thing and some woman just doesn't trust him or, you know, is thrown in right. with them. Uh, it's, it's big time in the next film it, and just literally acts against him, like plays the antagonist in a, in not just a, uh, you know, like I say, not just an interpersonal way, but in a plot way, really works against yeah. your guy until somehow they don't. And that's a fun thing to watch, and it's really, really effective. Here, the that big banquet that he's at, that whole section, it's it's a little broad comedy for me, but it's still really entertaining and delightful. I, I yeah. dug it. And I yeah. just, I, I liked her whole vibe. She's the opposite of him in every way. She is an activist. She cares about all this stuff. And his attempts to ingratiate her, her himself onto her when he's entirely not worthy of her is fun. And it's <laughs> yeah. fun watching him sort of earn it throughout the film, too. Yeah. I, th I think Hitchcock was, was, was really, he's the master of suspense, but he's also master of judicious use of humor. Um, all of his films have that in there. Even a film like North by Northwest, which is in the running as my favorite Hitchcock film. I'd, I've seen it dozens of times. When I saw it at the Riverview with a theater audience, that was the first time I'd seen it in the theater. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how much humor there was. When you're seeing it with a group of people and everybody laughs and, and you laugh too, instead of going, at home, you're like, oh, yeah, right. It, yeah. It, it, I, I would encourage anyone to see any of these films in a theater if you can with an audience. Mask it, up, of course. I'm not saying don't, mm -hmm. don't mask and go get COVID. Uh, but <laughs> it is a different experience, and the humor really plays well. Uh, in in all of his films, uh, it, it sort of goes goes past you when you're watching at home alone. Or whatever, it's like, oh, that, yeah, yeah. You recognize you the humor, it, like, but it really is true. Watch, watching really at home, plays. especially with comedy, is yeah. a different experience. Yeah. And this, these are designed with the group audience in mind, they are. very much yes. so. Not all, not all storytellers are, are focus on that or even think about that. that. But and it takes all kinds. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you can feel. You can feel when Hitchcock's is playing a trick on the audience. You can feel when he's you can feel when he's throwing the audience a bone. But you can feel that he's always aware of them, or at least what he thinks they're gonna be. And this is full of little moments like that that are really really yeah. great. So one last thing on this: um, the ending. There's a speech at the end in a 
broadcast and that was added at the last minute hmm. um they had finished shooting hitchcock had gone over to england and when he came back on like i'm gonna have the dates wrong but it's something like july 3rd he came back and said mm-hmm. uh word is that germany is going to start bombing england on um, like a couple days later ben hecht came in and wrote that final scene and they shot it and after that like a few days later or a week later germany started bombing england yep. um and it's it's hitchcock's getting his his plea to america mm-hmm. to, to consider joining the war really yeah um and that's i think that's it's awesome that he 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 got to make that personal plea because he is from England. I mean, he's, that's his country. And especially at this point in his career where he hasn't been Hollywood, but a couple of years, he's really, he's got to be feeling for, you know, his country. And it really is an A to Z journey in the plot and in the personality. And that's uh, that place that you end is, all the with all the zigzags in between, it's all the way from where this movie starts. That was my favorite of all the tricks mm-hmm. and and gimmicks, which were really fun and and the my the most fun thing about this one is just just how far you go. You really do go a long way. I, and yeah. that for again for a, a, I don't know if it's film yeah. like this or if I'm even there are even were films like this. Then there I'm sure there weren't not quite like this, but it I love that. I really that did. Original I love ending, that. I love the growth. That original ending isn't anywhere, is it? The, it I, that has been. I don't think the they ever. I think they uh, before they finished cutting, they like were shooting this, popping yeah. it on. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. All right. Uh, I I do love this tagline for the. I don't normally love the tagline for this one. It's, Mystery in whispers that cracks like thunder. I just love that. I just love that with the all like the caps, like mystery and whispers is all caps that cracks like thunder. I love it. Very nice. Anyway, before we move um, on, yes, suspicion. There's one film that we're skipping here. It's called Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's a screwball comedy starring Carol Lombard, who is who is a fantastic actress from that time. Uh, and Robert Montgomery and Hitch did it as a favor to Carol Lombard and it's good it <laughs> shows that Hitchcock could do whatever he wanted really yeah. yeah but it's not a suspense film it's a screwball comedy a straight up um, it's very entertaining if you're watching all of Hitchcock definitely give it a view uh, but I don't think it it fits into to what we're doing. And so this that's is why we're skipping from it. Rebecca to our final film today. Lifeboat it is a straight up film sequence that skips yep. one movie. That's the only one that. We're so that's, yeah, it yeah. is oh. worth pointing out that the one we're yeah. skipping is is the only one we're skipping here in this particular. Yeah. And and it's atypical of him. And and we're here to talk about the master. And, and don't think that like Mister and Mrs. Smith like this. This is like. Oh, this was the original that the uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jones yeah, spy. No. <laughs> they're not, they're nowhere near no. alike. Okay, no. so uh, don't think that. Plenty of screwball in comedy in that later Mr. and Mrs. Smith as well. No, no, I. that's why I'm saying it, they're, they're, the two are have nothing to do with each other. Well, the, um, both the characters uh, are named Smith. You got <laughs> me there. I am tough but fair. 
I, well, I just, uh, you are correct. That's what hey, that leaps immediately to mind him. as a similarity. <laughs> got me. Oh, Ryan. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's move on to suspicion. Um, a shy young heiress marries a charming gentleman and soon begins to suspect he is planning to murder her. This is the Joan Fontaine show. This one is yeah. uh, all Joan Fontaine all, t- all the time. I, You'd have to double check. I think she won the Oscar for this yep. one. Yeah. Yep. So Joan Fontaine shows up again, wins an Oscar. This is uh, Hitch's first collaboration with Cary Grant. Um, uh, they'll do it four times. And this is the lesser of the four. The other four are fantastic. Mm-hmm. This one's This one's good. Uh, it's a good role for Cary Grant. For sure. Um, we're going to have to talk about the ending of this one. So definitely a spoiler alert on this one. Yeah, this one and the, there's another one, an even better one that goes along or at least explores the same sort of interpersonal paranoia. And and they we do have to talk about because the contrast with them is they they are opposites of each other ultimately yeah. and that's that is what's interesting about in the discussion so i sort of agree yeah. we're gonna spoil suspicion sorry it's all right but, everybody suspicion so yeah. we are uh about we an hour a little over an hour in the show uh yeah so yeah, we did a really pretty good job i mean other than there's a plane crash and foreign correspondent it, it, we did a pretty good mm-hmm. job of not spoiling really yeah. much of anything so right and there ain't no rebecca and rebecca i guess we spoiled that but so we yeah, get she a never does of, appear uh... if as a modern audience member you might be thinking she's gonna like jump out from behind the curtains or something right <laughs> Or, or be floating up at the top of the ceiling or who knows <laughs> what, you know, uh, suspicion. So a lot of the main cast in this is, is people that we've seen in other Hitchcock films or we'll see, you know, Cary Grant, Joan Fontaine, Nigel Bruce is back in this one in a, in a much larger role. Uh, and as always, he's just delightful. He just, <laughs> he just plays that, that goofy British guy so well. I just, yeah. I love it, and uh, and also we have Dame Way Mitty, May Witty, who was in The Lady Vanishes, uh, pops up in this one as well. So, did, did you read the synopsis? Her. I did. You I did. did. A yeah. shy young heiress marries a charming gentleman. Oh, they're so in love, <gasps> but soon she begins to suspect no, she's planning to murder her. Yeah. That's a just it's uh, you know appropriately mm-hmm. so. That's a worthless thing because it yep. doesn't really tell you anything, but. Because I'm sitting um, here going, see. which one was suspicion again? Is that the Johnny one? Isgarth is a handsome gambler, borrowing money from friends. He meets Shailena McLaidlaw. Oh, it's on this train. one, the borrowing yeah. money yep. one. <laughs> that really <laughs> helps a, a lot, Joel. Thank you. Travel that really does help a lot. Now I know it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's only after the honeymoon that she discovers his true character and starts to become suspicious when Johnny's friend and business partner, Beaky, something happens. Played by Nigel Bruce. Yep. Yep. That's a great role for Nigel. He's yep. so funny in it. It is. He he he, yep. he um it's hard to explain, but he's such a bumbling guy who doesn't know what's going on until he seems to continuously instinctively either diffuse things or light fuses in things. Yeah. All of which sort of need to be done. He's like the movie's guardian angel, if I'm remembering the film correctly in a really, really weird way. 
Yeah, he he's sort of like this uh, this random catalyst for yeah. whatever direction the plot's going to take. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? I mean, it's funny because you don't you do expect him to be there to give you some laugh lines and to react yep. to stuff and and to maybe be a confidant for either of them at what at any given point in time. But he really does a catalyst is the exact right word. That is what he is. He he if this thing was ever going to get as boring as a movie or if this story was ever going to get just diffused of tension he just is there right at the right moment to say or do the right or wrong thing and it's just that's really fun to watch actually what if he must have loved that character on the page because yeah, he I think so. he makes the most of every single one of those moments and Cary Grant um who I'm I'm more familiar with from the you know the the adventure movies, Gunga Din and the what's and the what's the what's the French Foreign Legion one, Bo Jest. Um, so when I see him as this, as this guy who, and it's great because it's like his, it's it has real star power. No offense to like Joel McRae or some of these other really cool people, or even Olivier. But when Grant comes in, he's like, it's you could just kind of feel like there's almost a little glow around him and. Yeah. And this this story uses that to great effect because you sort of do trust him and you think this is all on the level and you think he's not going to be a constant screw up. And when he ends up when he when when his natural charms wear off and you realize sort of what a dork he is, you always and the, the film makes the most of this too. You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop where bah, bah, where it suddenly you know he jumps out at you with a butter knife or something. And the movie subverts that too, and so it's yep. it, it really is like a juggling act of a thing that keeps you on your toes. I don't think it's a very intense film, like Foreign Correspondent or even Rebecca's at times. But it right. there's so much tension in and Joan Fontaine again, and what could have been a what really and it, Hitchcock gets credit for this too, but certainly she helps a lot. What really could have been an annoying, oh, what do I do character. And she just really, there's a couple places maybe, but just really doesn't fall into any of the pitfalls of that, which made this yeah. great. I, until a moment ago, I forgot what this movie was. It just, and now I, it all came back to me when you said money issues. I'm like, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember <laughs> now. <laughs> For my money, this is, The worst film of the bunch, of this but it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's still very good, I think. But it just I didn't know what was going to happen. Where we were going with that? It just doesn't hold hold up after you've seen it. And I think we have to talk about the ending here. It's not the ending Hitchcock wanted. It isn't, huh? Uh, Cary Grant ends. You know, there's all this suspicion. You you're led to believe that he's actually trying to kill his wife. So that or or nice. is going to feel compelled to kill her more. I would say yeah. more, but yeah, it doesn't feel like he's plotting to do that. But you do feel like this could happen. I mean, if he gets yeah. desperate enough or whatever, yeah, absolutely. And you feel like he he may be responsible for Nigel Bruce's death. Yep, it, it's really led you down that path. Uh, Hitchcock wanted that to be the case. That's what he wanted that to be the ending and the studio wouldn't let Cary Grant be a killer it's weird Mm -hmm. because that's what I 
that's what I liked about this was that he wasn't ultimately. I mean, it's I, I hate to I say that because that. I get that that's not the. I feel like Hitchcock had had he got his cake later right away, pretty much on that account. So, so I don't feel too bad for him because I I like the contrast. I like that you. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes the bad guy gets away. Sometimes the lawyer character in Law and Order loses the case. That's why that that's why shows like that are even tolerable because at least occasionally things don't go the way you expect. And of course this yeah. you feel like you're barreling towards something bad and you and bad things do happen, but but I like that that really wasn't part of his makeup and that this weird this weird intense paranoia grew out of really garden variety lies and mistrust and that it became a very, very dangerous thing that, that shouldn't have been like, I've actually find that there's thematic value in that. And I didn't feel even like the movie robbed me of a, of a big suspenseful gotcha ending. I, I thought, I thought it could have gone either way right up till the end. And then when it went the other way, I felt like that, well, that's pretty cool. That's the less, that's the less – it's weird that it's Hollywood that dictated this. I get it's because yeah. of Harry. Now, that makes it make sense. But to me, mm -hmm. that's the less Hollywood way to do it. This thing has yeah. to end with some sort of struggle on the, you know, on the cliff side or whatever. I mean, I, it, right. and when it doesn't, I dug it. So yeah, I don't mean to take Hollywood's side, but – that, that's <laughs> a good point. I do find it a little anticlimactic. It is. Barreling towards – building the case that he is this, he is this, he is this. You're in danger, you're in danger. Oh, no, you're not in danger. Uh, but they are Again. in danger. They they, <laughs> they really are because there's all that stuff that's because they're not connecting, because they don't aren't trusting each other. I don't really know. Yeah. He carries Greta. He's a kind of a blank slate. You don't even really know what he's thinking in the movie. You know the things he's trying because you kind of hear about them, but you don't – he doesn't talk about his feelings really. He doesn't talk yeah. about – his situation is it just she just finds out about this stuff and I, I like that that they that they're the whole thing it in a way their relationship does get railroaded by mistrust but it doesn't turn into a stabby thing or anything like that like it 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 just is never that and when you look back on it you're like you can look at it and go no nah, it really was never that and i think that's what's fun about it but I, I get what you're saying. I but yeah. I really do feel it's two movies away or whatever where the no no he and 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 I feel like this movie was a domino for that one where where same kind of thing charming guy you you, you don't trust him at all but we, you know this it might just be nothing it could just be in our hero's head. And when it isn't that movie works better. I really believe because I watched it the week after I watched this. One. Sure. And that's one of the best movies on this list. Um, well, let's, uh, before or at we least can one get of the to best that stories one. anyway. Yeah. Before we can get to that one, let's see. Oh, uh, also uh, gentlemen out there, if you have um, a significant other in your life, see if you can make the lovely nickname, monkey face monkey face oh god stick. i'm really glad you remembered to bring up monkey face yeah thank yeah. you see if you can make that stick see 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 if you're you're that's how you'll know it's true love that mm -hmm. right <laughs> oh monkey face uh anyway um ne next up 
next up, now this next movie, apparently, according to IMDb, is the first time we see Alfred Hitchcock's name above title. Mm. So Hitchcock is starting to name, he's starting to he's sell. He's starting to be the whole him. shebang. He's the draw. Yeah. yeah. And Which is, is 19- absolutely uncommon for this era. And really, yeah. mo- most eras, you don't get to that level. But this one in particular, that who gave a crap who was directing a movie? Right, I mean... Right. Even though it had it's full of the eras of its great directors, John Ford and everybody else that's working, but they people don't care. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Hitchcock is its own ticket. It's its own yep. thing that assures you you're going to get a certain level of entertainment, and that is very very cool. Yep, yep. And it, this is uh, 1942's Saboteur. Um, I, I dig this film. Uh, a young man accused oh of sabotage. Yeah, a young man accused of sabotage goes on the lamb to prove his innocence. I usually have huge problems. Uh, like I, I can't watch movies where someone is accused of something that the uh, accused of a crime they didn't commit. You know, I have. Oh, <laughs> Hitchcock's going to no, be a bad one for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 and I recognize that, and Hitchcock's part of the reason why. Uh, right. But some, for some reason, when I watch Hitchcock films, and maybe it's just there's enough distance on them. Um, that you know, I, I you know, I, I I feel okay watching watching them because uh, they're you know it's a different style. It's a different style of of storytelling than than what you know what you get now. So maybe maybe that's why I'm okay with it. But because um, normally I would say yeah, this movie I don't want to I don't want to have anything to do with. I, I usually try to avoid movies like this. But I I I dug Saboteur so much. Well, we got um, three movies left, and we've talked our our butts off here so but i just yep. want to say that the last time we encountered sabotage in the hitchcock movie it was completely used incorrectly from the um dictionary definition of it at least mm-hmm. it, what they what that movie was about was actually terrorism this movie though this is saboteur yep it's a little bit of both actually in the end which is kind of fun i'll say the thing about sab sabot of course this movie let me down only because the opening scenes in the air airplane factory i was gobsmacked by how they looked like i was just stunned by how awesome those things were lit and where the camera placement was and just how much visual interest was in every single shot i thought that the the actual fire is as good as anything you've you've seen for decades on, even in black and white to, to achieve a, a huge flaming set piece like that is, is, is an incredible achievement. Um, and there's other things I like. I like, there's a lot of what really feels like bona fide location shooting in this movie, which is a new thing. Although I, I feel like on the sets which shit was so interesting that when we get out to in the river or on the bridge or wherever we are, it feels less interesting, but it's, it, it widens the scope of the thing, I think in a way that even some of these with big scope, like for correspondent are kept, keep it pretty tight. And I like that a lot about it. I love the performances. I love the crazy, wacky old hermit in the hills or whatever who just, again, just it turns out to be this saintly person who can imme- who immediately sense the truth in something. 
and is totally chill about it. Like I, I don't remember seeing many guys like that in films like this. Well, not in films like this. It, it feels like he's lifted right out of the Bride of Frankenstein yeah, or uh, Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, right, right, okay, sure. Which is which is really yeah. fun take on that character. It, um, that that dude's you know the opening scenes and the 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 fire itself and just the intensity of that. Um, you know, I expect to see guys like the the truck driver in it that he hitchhikes with like, but that dude is yes, come in and draw yourself. My boy, that is so weird. What is he doing in the middle of this? I know. And yes, oh. this. Yes, oh, I just, but I loved that. I love, again, I love the fact that it's just strange and it's, it keeps you off the balance. <laughs> you keep, you, and I love that he, I love Hitchcock when he has the balls kind of like in suspicion, but better here because it, you know, it, it, it uh I love when he has the balls to like ramp up tension that goes nowhere. That other shoe doesn't drop. This really was just as it appeared. You felt a queasiness in your gut the whole time for nothing. Haha. And we're all in on it together. And I, I just <laughs> I find like that payoff is great. I I thought this movie when they got back to New York and it really got plot heavy, like it really struggled to keep my attention actually. Yeah. So as much yeah. as I was into it early on I was way less into it, but the, again, still very, very enjoyable, um, and tons of style for your movie-going dollar. I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's and another another young lady who just yes <laughs> really Priscilla, sticks it to our hero until she yeah, finally well, does it. <laughs> Priscilla Lane is, is the heroine in this, and she's you may if you've seen uh. Um, Frank Capra's Arsenic and Old Lace. Uh, that's another big film that she was in. Yeah. Um, and she is she's just a delightful actress. Um, she's really fun, really, really she, charming and fun. And when she and when this character decides to bring the hammer down, I mean, it, she's in charge. She really does. Who's the name of? Oh, she named the man on the run. Oh, or, or uh, actually, Robert Cummings. And he, yeah, Robert Cummings two is... of two of Hitchcock's films as well. So we've got another uh, repeat mm-hmm. uh, person and, as but well. But they're as... a great, I mean, we've seen this now several times before and they're a great team up with lots of great chemistry and, and yeah. they are clearly having fun being at odds with each other. He's really coming. I don't know that I've seen him in anything before, but he, uh, his, there's a, I, there's almost an outside the story actorly affableness to him and the way he interacts with her, like just letting her take stage and stuff. Like it almost doesn't feel super competitive. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it makes her stuff, I think more sharper. And I, I love watching that. Mm-hmm. Like that balance is really, really great. Yeah. This it's, is, I, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Dorothy Parker, uh, yes. it, it, it wrote the script. It was one of the script writers on this. And I really feel like, and I can't remember the the what it was, but there's an early moment like this is like right around the the it's it's the it, you know with the guys leaving the uh, the 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 air, air um, airplane hangar or the factory. Yep. Um, there, there, I can't remember the specific lines, but there was like like a, a crackling, you know, it, like that 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 quick fire sort of Dorothy Parker, Preston Sturgis, you know, that, that, you know, that really, yeah, that, that kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. When the guy drops the, the, drops the money or but, whatever. But yeah. 
that the, whole the, the letter yeah the letter and stuff and yeah. and um yeah and i'm just like oh and that just that that and so for the rest of the movie you know that that like was the thing that put me in tune with the tone of this movie and 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 it just to me yeah I, I, I as soon as you said when they get back to New York and we really get you know we go to the big party and stuff like yeah that, really like, oh, and and did, stuff starts taking start off and yet I was little, like yeah. mm, this was I don't know I don't mean to criticize maybe, it I don't think it's bad no, but, but it, it I I, I did my I think attention did I, noticeably start to wane during those sequences for some reason I think it's because we got so much less of uh, Cummings and Lane. Yeah. Uh, and and their yeah, and their interactions and their banter because they get separated uh, for large chunks of that of that third yeah. act. Um, and uh, so yeah, it, so I, I I I hear you there. I hear you there. But yeah. um, I mean, yeah, the, the script really crackles on this one. This is Hitchcock has several themes that he likes to to come back to. Uh, the wrong man is one of them. Um, and this is really sort of a remake or a reworking of the 39 steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got that same relationship between the two, yeah. uh, the, the two romantic leads and, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, you've got all these near misses, these narrow escapes, things like that. Yeah. Um, I love the, the train sequence when they, they hook up or the, it's not a train, but the, uh, caravan, the carnival the circus yeah the yeah, yeah yeah and and here again we've got hitchcock using force perspective there <laughs> he's got little people yeah far away as big people um and has built everything on perspective um those characters are are really quirky and weird and fun but they also say some stuff that's that's really kind of beautiful Ashley um, redeems that sequence because oh, I love the way it looks, but I really do feel like here's a parade of freaks doing freaking <laughs> stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and it isn't just that, but it is also, it is that also. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. um, they're noble, they're noble freaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, and to me, I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, um, but I, I love the way quick- it looks and stuff. And I, I think it's pretty fun. Yeah, my 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 single favorite uh, uh, Priscilla Lane moment the, is in that Siamese twins. They've cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, um, but real, when, real uh, when... sisters like going at each other, and you can really feel the lived-in nature of their their differences and stuff is very funny to me. My favorite moment, uh, she's when the the cops come in to uh, to sort of inspect uh what's going on uh in in the circus uh in the circus train caravan and they look at and Priscilla and, uh, just a uh, pat pat is sitting there and they're like look at her she's sitting she she's so whatever it is and she's sitting on a box full of snakes and priscilla just has this little tiny like because we, we've established that that little look of we've established that you know like she she didn't want to stay behind because he you know scares her with talk of snakes and poisonous snakes and dying of snakes and stuff like that and then she just gets this little moment of where she knows she can't react but where she is told she's sitting on a giant box of snakes um and uh it made me it made me very happy it was a it was a lovely little acting moment also uh iconic monuments right i mean we got at least yes. mention oh yeah those, yeah because that's a yeah. abs- that's a trope that it were is well underway at this point but that we haven't seen for a few films really and now we get two big ones in this one the my mm-hmm. favorite one the hoover dam um 
that was really fun, and and just the the fun way that that factors into the plot and the and the. It's hard to explain. It's almost like expositional talk that they're having about it. I guess, I guess the reading about stuff that's interesting in Wikipedia nature of that like just appealed to me. I actually really really liked all that. Um, and I like that mm-hmm. guy that he's traveling with at that point. That's really fun too. The actual spy guy is very <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Th- uh, this film is filled with quirky little moments like that. Who yeah. he wishes his son had been born a daughter. Yeah, I he know. Talks about that for a while. <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. he's weird. Man. What is this doing in this film? I guess that is that I don't know who it is. is that is this based on a book or anything, or is it Dorothy Parker? Or do we think that's Hitchcock, or is it a nice there little storm of everything? Several screenwriters on this, Dorothy yeah. Parker being one of them. I I she, can't remember. I don't. She think was it's based she on was brought in to beef up the banter. Probably, yeah, yeah certainly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that stuff is funny, man. The a cab ride with those two guys, and again, a, a, a leading guy who's really comfortable in his own shoes, keeps his own presence, but lets the other people take stage. That very much in those interactions, you know. Mm-hmm. I, like I yeah. say, I don't know Cummings at all, but I he was he really did a nice job in a movie that requires him to really react to some crazy stuff. Yeah. Yep. There, there, um, there are all these moments of of that weirdness. There's another one when Priscilla is being held captive in a skyscraper mm-hmm. at the end of the building. Yep, and she orders a milkshake <laughs> and pays for it, and the guy I gives know. her change. It's like I know. It's your weird. your captive is so, is allowed to order a milkshake, so but you're gonna pay oh, make her pay for yeah. it. Hey, yeah, it was a more mannered time. Not, I think we can get monsters. away without. Right. Mm. Can they we get away without spoiling what the other monument them. is and let the viewers experience that one for themselves? It is foreshadowed yeah. in the movie what it's gonna be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's and it's a great little set piece. It is. It is. It's a nice set piece. I guess we'll leave it. We'll leave it. I don't it know. Vague. I mean, we can talk about it too, work. but I feel like we're running out of time, and maybe yep. we can. Yeah. Maybe we uh, can we, leave we'd... the final few pages of this one. Like. Yeah, we out have there. two really. You know, this is a this is a really fun film, but we have two really, uh, really, really good uh, films to talk about left okay. too. So well, um, let me just say one more thing about production design that the uh, that last monument is is really well done. I think. Uh, using some forced perspective again in uh, a map mm-hmm. painting. There, a um, lot of it, until the big moment, which just is hard, really, for people to even pull off today. It's just a thing. We've seen it in dozens of things. Hundreds of things, even. There's a very stylized fall. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. and 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 it it's not bad. I mean, I'm sure for the day it was some sort of magical looking, and it still right. has that neat, creative feeling to it but it doesn't and then they and I like a lot of movies from this era I get that there's not not much else to do after that but it just feels like the curtain comes down on this one really fast after yeah. that happens well yeah that it really does cuz <laughs> really the the one guy who was going to be able to uh to clear him isn't going to be able to clear him anymore and it's like well oh, okay I guess we're just uh, going to take everyone at their word. Um, real, also real quick, before we move on, uh, this is the last movie of the show uh, that we're, that Joan Harrison uh, is credited as a writer on. And uh, we need to, you know, Joan Harrison long time um, started out as a secretary as Hitchcock's secretary yep. and like 
worked her entire career uh working on working with hitchcock and um integral part of the the hitchcock story and hopefully we'll get a chance yeah. to talk norman uh, lloyd yeah. also is oh yeah norman lloyd fry oh my God. This, and he's uh yeah he's norman lloyd two is fry. Hitchcock yeah, yeah. films and uh norman lloyd uh plays mm-hmm. fry and he also worked with Hitch for quite a while. He as a, a producer and a director on his TV show, uh, uh, both his TV shows, awesome. uh, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. And Norman Hour. worked into his nineties, so he yeah. has a, yeah. a like a, a list of credits as long as many many people's arms and put yeah. together because it. And, and but seeing him as a young man, like just taking big bites out of the scenery was really, really fun. That was really mm-hmm. fun for me because I love yep. Norman. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Okay. Next up, we have a teenage girl overjoyed when her favorite uncle comes to visit the family in their quiet California town. And she slowly begins to suspect that he is, in fact, the merry widow killer sought by the authorities in Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. The... uh. Oh. The 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 um on the disc that uh on the disc that I have for this yeah it it this one I think I own yeah I do yeah. um uh, the the only little there's a bunch of little stuff on it but the only little special feature is is Hitchcock's favorite movie or something is that right yeah yep yep this is often cited as Hitchcock's favorite film of his um it's That's not my favorite film of his but um. It's good. It's very good. good. It's weird in a way. I feel like yeah. the one thing about Shadow of the Doubt that I feel is weird, and I think I think it's it's played off really, really well, and that helps a lot. But I do feel like we're there are a solid half dozen of times where this should fall apart if somebody just opens their mouths and says something conventional. You know what I mean? I there yeah. there's it feels like there's a lot of English rules of manners in this getting in the way of the, it, the, the, the reveals revealing themselves that we just don't have in our society. And that I feel like we, we might've had more of in the forties, but we still didn't have it to the level that our characters should feel trapped, not so much from what to do about any of it, but, but to even expressing what she's feeling about it, like it, that part sort of drove me crazy, but it really was helped out by the actor who made it all feel real and, and, and found a way to make it seem motivated, you know, found a way to make though that sort of thing natural. And of course, by the time you get to the end and you find out what, you know, what really, where everyone really stands, it's, it's all the more satisfying that and the, the weird little, tragedies the thing with the garage and and those all so creepy and they got under my skin in a weird way because i think this is a less flashy movie than uh saboteur which was i thought was a very flashy fun movie i feel like this is very this is back to being very enclosed and this family and this tight group of people with uh particularly um although he doesn't do a lot in the movie but um Hume Cronin's first appearance. Yes. It, it, he, he, you know, and he really is just a side character in this. He's more important in our next film. But, uh, but I, I loved seeing him. I loved what he brought to it. And who's the star of this? The, the woman? It's, 
Uh, Teresa Wright, Teresa who Wright. is in Somewhere in Time. Wow, wow, yeah, you know, and and the uh, the gentleman uh, that that we're suspicious of his name, uncle, what's his face is Charlie Shy. is uh, Joseph Cotton. So Joseph Cotton, so really, yeah. really good, really good Joseph Cotton role. Yeah. But I think the whole thing rests on Teresa Wright's shoulders, and I think the uh, it's really fun to see hints that this kind of thing is coming, and now. For my money, and this isn't even the kind of movie I like. I like a movie like Foreign Correspondent really more than this kind of thing. Um, but it really lands here, and it, and it, and she's got a lot of, like I say, a lot of difficult conventions that she's got to dance around. That just I just feel are are real challenges for performance. And I was knocked out by Teresa in this film, and I and. And I did the plot. I thought was pretty obvious and everything, but it's the execution. It's all the you know movies are ideas. Well, I don't remember who said that. Somebody, some really good filmmaker. It's about ideas. I can even hear his. It's just the ideas, and once you have the ideas, you have it. Um, David Lynch. Uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, I heard Hopefully. a voice, and I'm like, oh, who's that yeah. guy talking? To, I okay. This movie is packed to the rafters with really, really good. I hate to call them set pieces because they're they're simple and subtle. Yeah. But really, really good ideas r- rendered in a really great visual way, and that's how you get sucked up into the story because each little sequence, each little near miss, uh, each little c- diabolical conversation that for a while you think could go either way. I think on this one you get convinced. Guy more or less tells you what he is at some point. Yeah, I think I think for me that's if there's a flaw in this film, it's that that it doesn't play the suspicion route. Not as, it as does for much. a little while, but not for nearly long. A enough. Very I, little bit. Although it, you're, it could have got away with a lot him, more. Yeah, the first time you meet him, you're pretty sure he's. Yeah, but not like I said, I guy. had just watched Suspicion. And was sure. suspicious of the dude the whole time, and it turned out he was just this loser. Right. He just was what he was. That's all he was. And even though calamity followed behind him, he wasn't a plotting murderer. So I wanted to think there was a chance for probably more of this one than you thought. Right. And it was nice that for a change, it was nice that it wasn't. And the final solution in this movie, which again, I really hate to spoil, uh, we can say that it's another train sequence, but. Fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, I mean, I hate to say that. I, I respect mortality and, you know, and I like to see justice done in a more more polite way. But <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, man, you got to just, you got to just eliminate the bad guy, you know, truly. And it's super fun, so. So I like it, but I was a little surprised to hear it was like his favorite movie ever. I liked it a lot, actually, but I was still surprised to hear I'm that. Surprised I just know it. we have so many iconic things coming, yeah. and I feel like this one fits in great with this group, but it's really just sort of fits in great with this group. But I love Teresa yeah. Wright. I, yeah. I just really, you know, she's playing basically a kid, but who's not a kid. The whole thing is, it's just all, it's got all this duality and all these multiple things tricks that she has to pull off and i just think she does it great obviously cotton just vamping it up is fantastic but that's yeah. he's got it easy relatively 
Yeah, so that's my take on the, that one. He what gets do you all think, the fun Rob? beats. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm with you exactly. Like, this is a really good film. It fits in with this group totally. I'm shocked that it's his favorite film. Uh, and maybe he said it was his favorite film at this time, and it was, you know, you never know. Yeah, these guys yeah, say these exactly. things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I figured. Well, if we they... don't know. Maybe he went, you know, it's my favorite film. <laughs> 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 we, you know, sarcasm doesn't always transfer. Right. Yeah. That's true. Or neither that's does true. Uh, French when you're being interviewed by Francois Truffaut. Yeah, you, right. you just you, you never know. Yeah. It's hard to Maybe say. Maybe the translation wasn't quite right. You never know. Uh. Um. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, there's again, there's all these. This has a totally different feel from uh, Saboteur. Uh, that one can be super corny. Mm-hmm. This one is small town America, and it's not super corny, really. It's it's just it's small a teeny town bit quirky. because I think movies of this era feel that yeah. way to us. But you're right, relative to other things, it it never makes light of that or makes fun of it. That that reality, the family, the way they interact, it's a teeny bit corny for yeah. our pleasure. But beyond that, it really it has to be real for the for this thing to work. Yeah. And he yeah. really and finds a good balance of that, I think. There are a lot of details. Um, there's a lot of location shooting on this one, uh, which is a change. Hitchcock liked to shoot in the studio so he could control every aspect. Right. And there's a lot of location shooting. On Although this. it's they're relatively simple locations compared to the they stuff are. in Saboteur. They are. But, yep. but it is, you can feel that you're in these real places. And there's a lot of exteriors in it which yep. is unusual for a movie of this era or a movie of his because he really does like to be in a controlled environment with his own lighting and his own everything. Um, but I like I liked that about it. It was kind of neat because yeah. the community felt real. Yeah. It's it's also fun to see McDonald Carey from Days of Our Lives <laughs> here as a dashing young uh, love interest for yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh That's like when you recognize him, you're like, oh my who is, God. Uh, who is, and it's delightful because he's cool and he comes in and you like him. And yep. yet in terms of being any help to the story at all, he is completely worthless. And I thought that that was, <laughs> and not in some, I'm a bumbling fool way at all. Just that's the guy who normally rides to the rescue. And he just absolutely never does that. She's on her because own. They put Teresa Wright's character in. She she gets to play this out. She's not the hysterical right. woman. Not at all. She gets to be the hero. She's she wigging out the whole time, together. but, but yes. perfectly understandable levels given yeah. the situation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It is there's it's not the hysterical woman. I love that about it too. I really yeah, liked yeah. her a lot. My yeah. my favorite in a really a string of fantastic female performances, a nuanced storytelling on that level. This was my favorite by far. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Uh. Yeah. Great film. Uh. But let's move on. <laughs> Just because for time purposes. Yeah, we gotta go. Got uh, one okay. left. Yep. Got one left, and it's a good. We're gonna end strong here. Uh. With. Uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock presenting John Steinbeck uh, in uh, it's Don, John Steinbeck's Lifeboat. Um, yeah, just you know, it's got a single set. It's a single set. It's a, it's a nice little uh, with Tallulah Blank- Bankhead, which I mean, the opening of the thing when Tallulah Bankhead is just sitting in a lifeboat, like 
with all of her belongings that have been carefully loaded upon it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, She is a singular presence. No question. I'm like, what is this movie? Uh, Yeah, this was, yeah, that was. um, So this, this is Hitchcock doing that thing. He likes to do where give himself a challenge. Mm -hmm. This, this, this sparks his creativity. This is what he needs uh, because he, he does stick with his genre and he's really good at that, but he, he looks for things that they can make this experience challenging and enjoyable for him. Synopsis, uh, Joel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people are on a lifeboat. There you go. No, um, <laughs> it's uh, the um, sur- several survivors of a torpedoed merchant ship. That's the part World I wanted us to be yep. aware of for sure before we start. It is a mer- torpedoed merchant ship in World War II find themselves in the same lifeboat with one of the crew members of the U-boat that sank their ship. There you go. And it's, other than, I think there's a cutaway at the beginning or the end or something, it's all one location. Uh A lifeboat on the ocean. So it's all shot in a tank in Hollywood. Right. But I would you guys agree it's pretty effectively done? Oh yeah, yeah. I again, it's that mix of stuff. It's like Manderley, right? It it's it's artificial. There's a pleasant storybook artificiality to it that makes you focus in on the paranoia and the conflict between the people. It is mm-hmm. really well done, like exceptionally well done. I'll even say, but it is not a boat on the ocean, really ever. And and you. And but it doesn't matter because you don't really think about that. This movie would have been intolerable to make in that way, so it was just wasn't yeah. going to be made in that way. So what can we do with the, these background effects, which are as good as anything I'm sure of the era, and really good as anything you've seen up until the digital re- resolution? And even in the digital world, they don't spend enough effort on it as they clearly did here the background plates are extraordinary when they're using them and there's this weird double focus to that right you've got and i've always thought it was weird and cool like when you know when kubrick does it he finds a way to make it blend and when hitchcock's doing it here it's it's you know and then with the guys with the buckets of water or whatever like all these different practical elements that are going into you know how you're doing this but the, I, I always love that there's weird there's the foreground thing which is shot one way and the background thing which even if it's shot in another way you basically have two you're looking at two cameras ideas doing different things at different times and it always feels like it has this strange otherworldly yeah. level to what's going on in the background so the just visually lifeboat which is which is only has one you only ever, ever in the boat from one angle. They don't, he doesn't even turn the boat around. You only ever see it from the uh, starboard side ever. And the back mm-hmm. of the boat is always to your right. When you're watching the movie and the bow is always to the left and that's it. You only, you, you come around, but you don't, right. it, he doesn't spin the boat around or do any tricks like that. It's, it's so you'd think it'd be like a play, but it just it isn't. It's it he cuts to scenes between two people in the boat when everybody else is right here in the boat, and you feel like you're alone with them. Yep. And and when he wants you to feel like they're all there, getting in each other's business, you feel that like it's he's 
the master manipulator. And this film is, I mean, I don't know how great the, I don't want to rip, I don't want to be ripping on Steinbeck or anything. <laughs> I was, to me, what this movie's missing is some huge twist. And it, and I was expecting it, and when it didn't happen, I felt almost let down by it from a plot standpoint. Because I really thought one of these guys did it. You know, I don't think it's the German. That's too easy. But, of course, yeah. this was made during or just after World War II anyway, right? Yeah, it's 1944, so So we're still in the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's so much to like about it. And the other thing I'll say about, I mean, just that's just the technical stuff, but the technical stuff alone is so, yeah. like I say, I, I don't, I don't, it's not like perfectly blended or anything, but that's not really the point. It's artfully done. It's embracing the artifice in, in, in for art, for art's sake. And just being like probably the only guy who could have made this movie at this time. Yeah. You feel that you feel the specialness of it. The other thing I loved about it, obviously uh, it's just, it's a true, unlike anything, I don't think any of these count as this. This is a true, it's got its, definitely, it's got its focal points from a stardom standpoint, but it is a true ensemble picture with yep. where when you look at the poster, this is very unusual, you look at the poster and there's like 12 names on it. They call everybody out, all the principals. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't say that one is more or less important than another. And I, that's neat. I really, really like that. I get that Tulula, she, her name's bigger than the rest of their names. Yeah. But, yeah. and she definitely he, takes stage, but she's, in the end, she's no more important a uh, cog in this little uh, thing than, than anybody else is. And I think that's really very satisfying too. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Even what, Canada Lee gets, gets, uh, is on the, is on the, Yep, because they're all—it's an ensemble, and the ensemble mm -hmm. should be represented. I love when I looked at the poster. I love to see that because I think I really do think for that era that's unusual. You don't see the seventh person yeah. down the list, you know, like you did in later years. The uh, what I find really fascinating about this one is is how visually dynamic it is giving that limitation yeah you know you you he knows where to point the camera for everything just yeah. exactly the right place to to like you said at times you almost feel like they're in another room over here <laughs> right. but they're exactly. they're not they're no. all there but he he accomplishes that feel of it so so when they're talking just the two of them and it's intimate conversation uh you feel like they're having that um, without moving them off of this boat, um, Hume Cronin again in a really yeah. great in a in a in a. It's almost a more I don't know. Hume Cronin's just really really good. It, it's a similar yeah. kind of performance to the other guy. He doesn't ever play anything, especially as a young man. He never really comes at you straight on. It's always he's just very clever and and interesting actor you know that's about the best yeah. compliment i can give an actor always making an interesting choice that nevertheless doesn't subvert any of the what's required of him in, in the story right. um and the other guy of all the people in it the other guy i really want to mention is that i don't know who the actor is but the angry sailor guy the the dancer is that right 
going to lose his leg. That yeah, one? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh, the one, yeah. He, he basically uh, is the. This is the guy William who's going to cause all the problem yeah. on the on this thing. Basically, yeah. Will, William Bendix is the actor, and the way the relationships uh, change. That's mm-hmm. he's great in it. I mean, because that's and that's a that's a more showy role, so he should be good. But it he really is good. You don't you don't feel like he's there to cause a ruckus. You feel like this is a guy going through something. That's to me. That's very sophisticated for the '40s filmmaking. Truly, mm-hmm. um, I like that, and I like, and again, the dialogue crackles in this. Really is interesting. They're they're let the lesser debates amongst us survivors are very entertaining and, and fun. Um, so, yeah, I dug it. Yeah. I wish I. It feels like a movie that would be a, literally a perfect movie. Maybe not. Its ambitions aren't you know Schindler's List or anything. But right. I, I really feel like in a like a Miller's Crossing way or you know the movies I think of that. there's not one blade of grass out of place and there's absolutely nothing I would change about them. Like that's what I consider a perfect movie, you know, whether it's in the top 100 or not. Right. I feel like this, if this, if this had a a wacky over the head, it was so-and-so all along sort of ending, which spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really do that. Um, It actually, what it does may even be more sophisticated, but I feel like this is the kind of movie that should have that. And yeah. we should find out in a crazy way. And when we do, we should go, whoa! And if, if we had that moment at the end of Lifeboat, Lifeboat would be perfection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of interesting little things. Uh, everybody knows Hitchcock's famous for making his cameos. Yep. In this one, it was a real it's challenge. So, so, so he's on, so, I think it's a newspaper, so right? Uh, dumb. Yeah. Before and after weight loss yep. photos. So, um, the art the art is a little too crisp. It's, yeah. just, a, it's just crisp enough where you're going, ah, oh, there it is. Yep. Well, so and good. throughout time and history and on the screen, it, it probably wasn't. I really think it's the, yeah, the, the 1080p. It, it restored yeah. version like calls yeah. out some of those incongruities <laughs> in the effects true, but, yeah. but you're not wrong it, it 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 just absolutely jumps out at you <laughs> which is great because yeah, i so good i don't i'm not uh, looking for his cameos and i don't really care where they are and and so right. i yep. miss almost all of them and that was a fun one to go <laughs> yeah yep and yeah. then uh, uh you know most of the uh most of the cast got motion sickness uh, at some point, they, most of them got pneumonia at some point from spending so much time in this cold water tank. Yikes. Um, mm-hmm. Tallulah Bankhead got it twice, I guess. Wow. Um, and then there's an interesting story about Tallulah Bankhead, who was famous for not wearing underwear. And this was brought to Hitch's attention. And he basically said, I'm not sure what to do about that. I don't know if it's costume, makeup, or hairdressing. That I should, uh, what department I should bring? Yes. If I were her and had that big thing to wear, I'd have a scuba suit on underneath. I know. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, and of course, I think this is the one. Um, kind of a a famous inside story. I believe it's Mary Anderson or something who was like, asked Hitchcock which is her best side, and he just like, "You're my darling, sitting sitting on on it." it." Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, yikes. So yeah, lots of lots of hitch uh, hitch lore in this one. Yeah. Um, all right, gang. Uh, that that that's Hitchcock coming to America. Yeah. Um, 
a lot. Yeah. I saw, I mean, we have more Hitchcock films. Y'all, there's we lots got, of Hitch to come. We got at least one. We'll have at least one more Hitchcock movie before the year mm-hmm. is out. We'll do another one of these for sure, probably in the fall. Um, it's fun, man. Yeah. I had only yeah. seen two Hitchcock movies when I started my own movie podcast. How unacceptable is that? <laughs> yeah, it's. Well. I mean, I always knew in the back of my head, oh, that's crazy, but it, it just is what it, it just was. What it was. So now I'm getting well versed, and I have an extensive collection, and I'm really excited. So it, we appreciate you them? walking us through these and curating this. And yeah, there are other films and other eras and other things to come too, which we're super excited about. Yep. Uh, and of course you can, uh, reach out to Rob. Uh, is it the stages of MN.com? Yes. Yes, yeah, stages is. of MN, uh, stages of Minnesota. Follow him also on Facebook, uh, especially if you are here in the twin cities and you love, um, love theater, you, you want to follow Rob. Um, and yeah. then you can reach out to, of course, you can reach out to Ryan and I movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook, uh, at ask Joel and Ryan. Twitter or no, not Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all those other things. Yeah. Ask uh, us ask some Joe stuff. Will you, we're going to need you to bail <laughs> us out in a couple of weeks. Nah, well, we, yeah. I mean, obviously we welcome anybody and you should like, and subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, review us. Hey, you know what? If you write a review of our show, we'll read it on the, uh, on, on, uh, on an upcoming episode. If you, you know, if you want to do it's it, the least uh, we that's can a, do. Yeah, it's the least we can do if you're willing to write a write a review of our show. And speaking of um, upcoming episodes, before Joel really goes into pure wrap up mode next week, tribute to William Hookins. Yep, been, and much with much uh, with our buddy Boston. Brian Crossland and some absolute crazy zany insanity that we promise mm-hmm. yep. that, that will go along with that as it should. Yep, because if you're gonna if you're gonna go Hootkins, you gotta go Bootkins. I think that's the <laughs> phrase. I think that's the old. That's the Is, old phrase. Uh, it, works. <laughs> our, it works. Absolutely, it works. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for this week. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>